0: It's Hanukkah, I'm Howie Silberger And I'm Rabbi Yisrael Bernath. Tonight, we're going to take you on
1: an adventure, a journey through time and space, a celebration of a miracle,
0: and a triumph of good over evil. It's Hanukkah. We've dug deep into the archives and found audio that hasn't been heard in thousands of years. Alexander the Great had conquered
1: most of the civilized world, including Syria Egypt and Judea. He was fair and allowed all citizens under his control the right to practice their religion. But when Alexander died, his kingdom was divided among his generals. About a century later, Antiochus Epiphanes took over as king of Syria Judea. He began to oppress the Jews severely, placing a Hellenistic priest in the great Jewish temple in Jerusalem, massacring Jews prohibiting the practice of the Jewish religion, and desecrated the temple by requiring the sacrifice of pigs on the
0: altar. The following broadcast, miraculously preserved for centuries, is the story of the first hunt.
2: And that is the best way to keep your toga together without having to remove your sandals. My name is Dosa Ben Antignus, broadcasting live from the town of Modin. Joining me now is Chana, mother of seven children and an accomplished harpist. Chana, how has the reign of the he-who-must-be-named Antiyachas affected your music?
3: My music has always been ever-traditional Judean influence. Today, it must be more... uh, Wait! What's that?
2: soldiers are marching at the town. I, uh, I, uh, I can't believe what I'm seeing here in the center of the town. A group of Syrian Greek soldiers have just descended on what seemed to be a quiet and peaceful village just a few moments ago. I could see them marching to the center of the town carrying what appears to be uh, a, a pig? Ho- hold on. One of the soldiers is standing up to speak.
4: Jews, gather round by orders of the king.
2: It looks like something's going down. Let me make my way through the crowd. This could be my big break. Excuse me. Excuse me. Could you move out of my way?
4: Jews of Maldives, the king has ordered someone from this town to step forward to slaughter a pig is moving. There's a silence through the crowd. Who is the elder of this town?
5: That would be I. My name is Matisyahu, the son of Yohanan the Kohen Gadol.
4: Step forward and show the townspeople how to honor the king. Slaughter this pig.
5: Fine. I'll slaughter a pig. You! <laughs>
2: these <laughs> Smir, there goes my afternoon lamptops. Oh, he, he killed a soldier. He killed a soldier. The battle has broken out between the, the townspeople and the soldiers. Move move out of my way. Let me get behind this cow. Oh the townspeople seem well trained. Almost as if as if they'd prepared for this battle. Oh, one of the townspeople just jumped on one of their horses. And I can see a massive horn. It's it's pointy at the edge. Oh, oh wait. That, that, that's, that's the cow. I can't stay here anymore. I'm going to get killed.
0: Wow, Rabbi, that was exciting audio. What happened next? We'll find out after
1: this short break. You're listening to the Hanukkah Special on Montreal's News Talk Leader, CJAD 800.
0: Welcome back to the CJD Chanukah special. I'm Howie Silberger. With me is Rabbi Sro Bernath. So, Rabbi, we just heard some archive footage from 165 BCE. We last left off in the town of Modi'in, where Matis Yahu and his sons had just defeated a small group of Syrian soldiers. Could you give us some perspective about what was going on in that time period?
1: Sure. Well, let me tell you the story of Hana, the harpist. Aside from playing the harp, Hana had seven sons... Shortly after that battle, she was captured together with her seven sons. They brought them before King Antiochus. Her seven sons were each asked to bow before the king. They refused. They were tortured and killed before her very eyes. The story of Hannah inspired the Jews who were hiding and training in the mountains. They started staging small ambushes on the Syrian Greek soldiers and were very successful. They were called... The Maccabees. What does Maccabee mean? Well, in Hebrew, Maccabee means hammer. When Mattathias died, his son Judah took over. He was called Judah the Maccabee, or Judah the Hammer for his great strength. Maccabee is also an acronym for Me Kamocha BeElim Hashem. There is none other than you, O God. The Maccabees stood for one God. And after numerous defeats, Antiochus sent his
0: largest army to finish off the Jewish rebels. Our next soundbite I won an incredible game of dreidel.
1: <laughs> That's because you gave me the dreidel full of shins.
0: Okay, 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 okay. Let's get back to the archives.
4: This is Thaddeus the Maxicus. You may recall that Menelaus was appointed high priest of the Jews by King Antiochus, but was rejected by rebel forces. Galilean news reporter Plato the Hellenist caught up with Menelaus this afternoon.
5: Menelaus is the king-appointed high priest of the Jews. He's run into major problems with Judah Maccabee and the rebel forces who reject any appointments the king has made. I asked Menelaus about the potential success of the Maccabean army. Success? I don't think you can classify one battle as a measure of success or failure in a war. Judah and his father and brothers may be able to take a few small towns, but eventually they'll be defeated. I have no doubt about the final outcome. No doubt at all. You're a Jew yourself. You've been called a traitor. And worse. Perhaps. To clear things up, you can tell us who the real Menelaus is. Let's just say I'm a moderate and a pragmatist. I think I represent those Jews who work hard and pay their taxes. And don't have time to march in the streets like spoiled schoolchildren. I understand that you are a strong advocate for assimilation. Can you tell us why you think the Jews should assimilate? The question is, why shouldn't they? Why should Jews insist on being so different from everyone else? What did it ever get them? And what is it getting them now? We all live together in this great society. We all enjoy the benefits it has to offer. Now why should we make such a great fuss because we're asked to worship with the rest of the empire? It doesn't make any sense at all. But now... Shouldn't a great society like this be capable of remaining open to other beliefs? Antiochus isn't against beliefs. Far from it. But there's a big difference between beliefs and this fanaticism nonsense. Look at this Rabbi Elazar. He died rather than eat a little bit of pig. That's not beliefs. That's madness. No society can accept that sort of thing. It only leads to a total breakdown of law and order. Will the defeat of the Maccabees mean the defeat of their religion? That is to say, if the army is destroyed, can the Jewish faith survive? My opinion? Impossible. It's true that the Jewish religion has survived some severe blows in the past, but this time, I think the odds against them are simply too great. No, I, um, I think assimilation is inevitable. Perhaps some parts of the culture will survive, but not so you'd recognize it. I think that if you were to pick up a history book, say, mm, 2,000 years from now, you wouldn't even find the word Jew mentioned. Certainly wouldn't find the name of Judah Maccabee. (sighs) Powerful words.
4: I'm Plato the Hellenist, live from the Acra Tower. Thank you, Plato. Just hours before that historic battle, Miriam was in the Maccabean camp where, in an exclusive interview, she spoke to rebel leader Judah Maccabee and his father, Matis
3: Yahu. Mr. Maccabee, what can you possibly hope to gain with your attacks against the Syrian army?
1: We're not fighting for any gain. Certainly not in the material sense. We've stated repeatedly that we have no ambitions for territory or power nor do we have any taste for war. All we ask is that we be allowed to worship our God in our own way. It's inconceivable to us that this could pose any threat to the Syrian Empire.
3: Mr. Maccabee, doesn't your resistance border on fanaticisms? After all, majority of people in the empire worship the Greek gods, and large numbers of your own people have assimilated without fuss, and are trying to enjoy the fruits of what this empire has to offer. Isn't your attitude, in fact, contributing to the misery of your own people?
5: May I answer that question for you?
3: Certainly, sir. For the benefit of our listeners, I am now speaking to Matisyahu, father of Judah Maccabee.
5: Are we fanatics? Look at what Antiochus and his military machine are trying to do to one minority faith and then ask yourself, who are these fanatics?
3: But questions of morality aside, how can you possibly hope to overcome the might of the Syrian army? Militarily, isn't your position pretty hopeless? Let me add this. I think it's time the empire understood that Jews
1: are not going to die without a fight. But if we are going to die... We will, defending ourselves and our Torah. Now, if you'll excuse us, we've a battle to prepare for.
0: You're listening to the Hanukkah special on Montreal's News Talk leader, CJAD 800. My name is Howie Silberger, And I'm Rabbi Yisrael Bernath. Rabbi Bernath, we all know that Hanukkah falls out at the same time as Christmas. Many people think Hanukkah is a response to Christmas. Is that really what Hanukkah is all about?
1: It's funny. Hanukkah is a very unique holiday. I know that people are used to seeing all the lights from other holidays. But actually, the lights come from Hanukkah. Whereas, for example, Passover, the holiday is done in the home, the Passover Seder. It's in the privacy of one's home. Or uh, Rosh Hashanah is in the synagogue. But Hanukkah is a PR holiday. Hanukkah is supposed to be done in the street, in public view, most people will put their menorah in the window or in the doorway. It should be seen by the outside. Um, Chabad all over the world will put up these huge menorahs in city halls, in, in malls, in, in stadiums. And the purpose is that the miracle of Hanukkah was in full public view. And so therefore, today we display the miracle of Hanukkah in full public view.
0: So today, the light of the Hanukkah menorah as it shines onto the street, what message is that conveying to the world? We'll be back after a quick break.
4: Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced
1: that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? (laughs)
4: Hi, I'm Elisa Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix.
1: And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker.
4: Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex, to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits.
1: So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love then tune in to matchmaker matchmaker and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. I think a lot of people wonder if darkness is the absence of light or if darkness is a creation on its own and darkness is really the absence of light. We have an obligation To fill the world with light, light meaning goodness, light meaning kindness, light meaning being there for someone. I think that we have an obligation as good people living in a good society to fill the world with light because a little bit of light will dispel a lot of darkness and no matter what's going on out there, no matter who tries to extinguish the flame, no matter who is trying to get at us, we have to continue to ignite the spark, to light the flame. And that's the story of Hanukkah. That's the message. What about the music of Hanukkah? The music of Hanukkah has a very, very rich heritage. We have Songs that date back to Europe, that date back into
0: the times of the Maccabees. There's a unique song called uh, Ojo
6: Candelicas. It's in Spanish. It
0: talks about the Hanukkah menorah.
6: (laughs) Hanukkah linda está aquí Ocho candelas para mí Hanukkah linda está aquí Ocho candelas para mí La dos candalicas, tres candalicas, cuatro candalicas, cinco candalicas, seis candalicas, siete candalicas, ocho candalicas para mí. Muchas fiestas voy a hacer con alegría y placer. Muchas fiesta va a hacer con alegría si placer una candalica dos candalicas tres candalicas cuatro candalicas cinco candalicas seis candalicas siete candalicas ocho candalicas para mi Los pastelicas voy a comer con almendricas y la miel Los pastelicas voy a comer con almendricas y la miel Una candalica Dos candalicas Tres candalicas Cuatro candalicas Cinco Candalicas, seis candalicas, siete candalicas, ocho candalicas para mí. Está Ocho para mí. Hanuka linda está aquí. Ocho candelas para mí. Hanukkah linda está aquí. Ocho candelas para mí. Candalica, dos candalicas Tres candalicas, cuatro candalicas cinco candalicas, seis candalicas Siete candalicas, ocho ocho candalicas para mí Ocho candalicas para mí Ocho candalicas para mí
4: This is the Galilean News Network Nightly News. I'm Thaddeus the Mexinus, And I'm Glorious Antikaros. This is what's going on in the kingdom. War has broken out in Judea. A small group of Hasmonians have revolted against the king. Galilean news reporter Jason Wateris joins us live. Jason, it seems the Judean forces have pressed forth towards Jerusalem. Where are they positioned now? I'm not sure how long I can safely maintain my position here. I'm standing right in front of the Jewish temple in the heart of Jerusalem. The Judean forces have declared this spot ground zero in their attack. They are determined to conquer the temple and rid it of Hellenistic influence and put here by King Antiochus. Right now, the Judean forces are surrounding the wall, and the city is under siege! Antiochus has thousands of troops guarding the temple! He's determined to keep the city, and particularly
3: this temple, under his control! Reporter Kim Cantanus is embedded with the Judean forces. Kim, Jerusalem is under siege. What can you tell us? Yes, it is glorious. The Judean forces have totally surrounded
2: the city. The Judean forces lost over 300 fighters in the Battle of Acre yesterday, but they forged forward towards Jerusalem. I had a chance to talk to the Judean leader Judah Maccabee about his plans for Jerusalem. We will conquer
1: it. We will rededicate our temple. We will succeed.
3: What about the soldiers, Kim? What's the morale like amongst the troops? They are determined, glorious. They feel they are on a mission from God.
4: Glorious, we have breaking news from inside the walls of Jerusalem. We go back to our reporter,
3: Jason Waterus, on the scene.
4: I don't know how much longer I can safely maintain my position here in the city wall. To the south, I can see the heavy fighting. Looms of smoke are rising into the sky, obscuring the sun which shone so brilliantly just a few minutes ago. The battle's been raging since this morning. Syrian forces are said to be on the verge of collapse in the city. There are reports of scattered looting throughout Jerusalem. And wait a minute, wait a minute, the city gates have been the gates have been breached. The forces of the Magi have broken through. Syrian forces are scattering. I am
3: in danger. I'm
4: going to take cover.
3: Jason, Jason. Okay, we're going to try to re-establish contact with Jason. Kim Cantanus is embedded with the Judean troops. Kim, what can you tell us? <laughs> The Judean troops have breached the walls of Jerusalem. There's a huge battle going on here now, Glorious. The government troops are fighting hard, trying to hold them back. We have reconnected with Jason Watcherus in Jerusalem. Jason, what's the latest? Judean soldiers are
4: storming the Temple Mount. The
3: government troops are fighting hard. That is, I have to relocate. Jason? Jason? The Judean forces have
4: conquered the Temple Mount. incredible scene unlike I have ever seen before. This is amazing. This is fantastic. I can't believe it.
0: Wow. Exciting times. And it only gets more exciting. Coming up, more exclusive audio from 165 BCE. You're listening to the Hanukkah special on Montreal's News Talk Leaders, CJAD
7: 800. <laughs>
0: Howie Silberger. With me is Rabbi Israel Bernath. The Maccabean forces have just conquered the holy city of Jerusalem. Let's go to a Galilean news soundbite of a historical press conference with Judah the Maccabee.
3: I'm Rachel Ben Avenue and we are awaiting the rebel leader turned Judean hero Judah the Maccabee. We are told he should be arriving any moment now and here is Judah Maccabee entering the great hall. He's being applauded by friends, supporters, and even some members of the media. And now he's hugging his brother, Yochanan. Also on the dais are his brothers, Yonason and Shimon, beaming triumphantly, I may add. And now Judah Maccabee is motioning for people to sit, and he is about to speak. <clears throat>
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to say a few words before I, I open this up to questions. The war is not over, and the fighting will continue. We felt that the recapture and the re-cleansing of the temple was a turning point in our struggle and should be commemorated and celebrated. That celebration has now lasted for eight days, and from this time forward will be designated as an official celebration of our calendar. It will be called Hanukkah. Now I'll we'll answer any questions you might have.
0: Excuse me, I have a question. There's an unsubstantiated story about the menorah burning for eight days on a single jar of oil. Do you care to comment on this?
1: Let me try to explain what happened, and then you can draw your own conclusion. When we made the decision to hold the celebration, we searched for oil in the temple so that we could light the menorah. Predictably and unfortunately, most of the oil, along with everything else in the temple, had been defiled, making it unusable. We found only one jar in which the seal hadn't been broken. One jar of oil will usually burn for just about a day. So we were faced with a decision. Wait eight days for a fresh supply of oil to come from Tomoah or light the menorah using the single jar of oil and this being seven days without light. We lit the menorah, and all I can tell you is it was still burning when the new oil arrived.
3: Mr. Maccabee, you are describing what would amount to be a miraculous event. You're asking us to believe in miracles?
1: As I recall, when we first took to the hills of Judea, after Antiochus banned our religious activities... Most of you thought it would be a miracle if we survived. Well, we survived. Then you suggested that it would be nothing short of miraculous if we recaptured Jerusalem. Well, we recaptured Jerusalem. You defined the word. Our acts merely fit the definition. Mr. McAfee, your immediate plans, Mr. McAfee. I intend to return to the battlefield and continue the struggle until we as Jews have the absolute right to practice our religion in freedom.
0: You may have heard the remarks by the High Priest Menelaus in his speech this afternoon. He said that it's impossible for the Jewish faith to survive. He talked about the setbacks the religion has suffered in the past, as well as the pressures it faces today, including those from within its own ranks. What's your response to this?
1: Menelaus presents a strong case. There are great difficulties facing the Jewish faith. I do not say for one moment that it will be easy for us to survive. But I think we must. If the world cannot recognize our right to exist in our own way, then I don't see how any people, any nation could ever survive. So for all of our sakes, ladies and gentlemen, for the sake of all of our futures, let us pray that Menelaus is wrong and that our case will prevail. Thank you.
3: Judah Maccabee and his followers are now leaving the dais and making their way through the crowd shaking hands. As you heard just a moment ago, Mr. Maccabee says that he will continue the struggle for the right of Jews to worship in their own way. One cannot help but wonder about the comment made by Menelaus. What will the history book say 2,000 years from now? Will the Jewish religion be just a footnote? Will the name of Judah Maccabee be remembered? As for today, this moment... The lights are burning brightly in the temple in Jerusalem. I'm Rachel Ben Avenue. Thanks for joining us.
0: Rabbi Bernath, it must have been so exciting to have lived in the times of the Maccabees. I can't imagine what it
1: was like. I mean, here you had this huge Syrian Greek Empire. And these little Jews. There was no chance they could have ever won. And... They band together, they fought, and they fought, and they fought, and they won.
0: And that's an incredible story. You're listening to the CJAD Hanukkah Special. I'm Howie Silberger. And I'm Rabbi Yisrael Bernath.
6: Have a little dreidel, I made it out of clay. And when it's dry and ready, then dreidel I shall play. Oh dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay. Oh dreidel, dreidel.
0: Welcome back dreidel, to the Khanukkah special dreidel, here I on Montreal's play. news talk leader, oh, dreidel, CJAD eight hundred. My name is Howie Silviker. And I'm Rabbi Israel Burnath. Rabbi Burnath, we've been talking a lot about the message Hanukkah sends to the Jewish listeners. What message does Hanukkah send to the non Jewish listener? It's a good question. I heard a story a
1: number of years ago a story about a king. He was growing old in age and he had three children. And he thought to himself, which one of my children will take over my throne? And so he made a competition. In the center of the scenic garden, there was a little shed. He thought to himself, my child that could fill the shed to capacity, that child will take over my throne. And so, each one of his children would have one week to fill the shed. The oldest, the strongest... His week would be first. The whole week they saw him going back and forth, the hustle and bustle. They were watching him. What was he taking? Stones, pebbles, rocks, big, small, little ones, bags and bags the guards and maids were carrying with him until finally they had filled the shed to capacity. And when they had finished filling it, then they stuck little pebbles inside to make sure there were no cracks. At the end of the week the king walked down the windy, narrow staircase that led into the garden. He observed his magnificent garden and then approached the shed. He opened the door and pebbles started falling out from all different sides. The king was impressed. My son, you have surpassed my expectations. Guards, servants, servants, Empty out the shed. It's my next son's turn. The middle son, he was fast and witty. He thought he could outsmart his brother. And so he was seen going back and forth, back and forth the entire week. But he was carrying feathers, bags of feathers, all types of feathers. People were carrying with him and they carried bags and bags and bags until they had filled the entire shed with feathers. At the end of the week, the king came walking down the windy, narrow staircase. He reached out to open the door, and there he saw feathers were everywhere. Feathers had covered the entire garden, and he was very impressed. Indeed, the middle son, he had surpassed his brother. The shed was fuller than with the rocks, but now was the third child, the youngest one, his daughter, Sarah. The brothers started pleading with the father. They said, Father, Father, she's too young. She's going to make a mockery of the throne. Please don't do this. But the father insisted, just as I gave you a turn, so too she gets a turn. And so the first day passed and the shed was empty. The second day and the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day Already, people started hearing about this competition that was going on in the palace. They started gathering around to wonder what was happening. The sixth day passed, and the shed was still empty. There was a hustle and bustle, a commotion amongst the townspeople, amongst the country people. The seventh day came, and the shed was still empty. As promised the king walked down the windy, narrow staircase that led into the scenic garden. He looked around the garden and took a smell of the fresh air. But this time he was not alone, for hundreds of thousands of people had gathered behind him, wondering what would be, wondering what little Sarah had put into that shed. He reached out his hand, and he opened the shed and looked inside. But the shed was empty. Before he could even say a word, Sarah walked from right under his arm. She kneeled down onto the floor in the shed, and she pulled out from the folds of her robes a little candlestick. And then she reached back into the folds of her robes and pulled out a little candle. She turned to her father and asked him to light the candle. The king bent down and lit Sarah's candle. And suddenly, the entire shed became filled with light to capacity. The king smiled and he turned to his little daughter. You, my daughter, will take over my throne. And so that's our story. Chanukah is a story of light. If Sarah can light up the shed, Sarah's light lights up the world. It's the power of the child. It's the power of the few against the many. It's the power of the light against the darkness. It's the ability that we have, that our small light, we can make a difference. And so I urge you, if you have a menorah laying around the house, if someone gave you one, if you don't have one, tonight it's our responsibility to spread the light the third light children tell your parents gather round the family together say the brachot the blessings sing some songs and share the light it's the light that we've shared from one generation to the next it's the light that's never been extinguished through every time in every place no matter what has befallen our people it's carried us through so many cultures so many empires have tried to extinguish the light but it's always there Sometimes it's an ember, and sometimes it's a strong, strong flame, but it's our responsibility to pass it on, to connect the generation, and to teach our children that it's the light of the menorah that has kept our people together. Rabbi Bernath, how do you light a menorah? How do you light a menorah? Well, the first thing is you take your menorah and you put it by your window or your doorway. Um, If you do it in the doorway, you do it opposite the mezuzah. And then you take the furthest right side and you start setting up the candles or the oil, as many people have a tradition because the miracle was with oil. Then you, tonight would be the third, you set up three candles and then you start lighting it from the left. But before you light it, you light the shamash, uh, the service candle, and then you make the blessings. There's two blessings, and if you haven't made it yet, this Hanukkah, there are three blessings. And then you light each of the candles and put the shamash, the service candle, back in its holder. It's customary not to derive any direct benefit and then to sit and... Watch the lights and to think and to think about the story of light and the story of the
0: miracle. I want to thank you for joining us on this CJAD Hanukkah special and helping us celebrate Hanukkah with you. I'm Howie Silberger,
1: and I'm Rabbi Yisrael Bernath.
0: I want to wish you a very, very happy (laughs)
8: Hanukkah.
1: The first Hanukkah produced by Howie Silberger and Rabbi Israel Burnath. Written by Howie Silberger, Rabbi Israel Burnath, and Rabbi Tzvi Hershkowitz Starring Rochelle Siegel, Ernie Hertz, David Hertz, Howie Silberger, Michael Siegman, Jason Lipstein, Rabbi Tzvi Hershkovich, and Rabbi Israel Burnath.